Friends, we're going to be in Isaiah 65, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. You know, over the last two weeks, we've been around this same time period. Two weeks ago, we saw the fall of Israel in the north to Assyria. And then last week, we saw Hezekiah, by God's power, stand against the powers of Assyria in the south as he ruled over the kingdom of Judah. And all the while, Isaiah himself is a prophet who lives at this time, spanning both of those events, and he's ministering, he's prophesying in the south, in the kingdom of Judah. Now, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament, and for good reason, because Isaiah is full. Isaiah is saturated with Jesus. He's there every other page. You have these glorious lines that are familiar to you. For unto us a child is born. Or there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Or as Jesus quoted using Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news. Or as we saw on Good Friday, he was despised and rejected by men. In fact, the book of Isaiah is so full of Jesus that people often dub it the fifth gospel. So if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah, you are well on your way to encountering Jesus. And encounter Jesus we will. Paul says of this risen Savior, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. That's what Easter has won. And our passage begins by talking about this new reality, this new creation that has recreated what God has done through Christ. I'm going to read for us Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard than the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, this day of days, Easter Sunday, I pray That if there is any day where your kingdom does not exist in talk but in power, it would be this day. That you would supersede us meeting here in this venue online and that your power and your risen presence would be felt in our hearts as you change us together this morning over your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' reigning, risen name. 
Amen. You know, as you listen to this passage, you begin to wonder, what time period is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about something that's going to happen in the future, like the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus comes again? Or is he talking about our experience here now as a believer in Christ, a Christian? And actually, when you come to this passage, there are several schools of thought as to what time period is being talked about. To illustrate, there are a few people who think that this is heaven. This time period is heaven. This is all just talking about when we die, what we're going to experience. But then there's also people who understand this to be earth. This is what it means to be a believer here and now. This is some of the benefits of us. And so those are competing schools of thought. You also have a third view, which this is the millennium that is referred to in Revelation. I'm not really going to deal with that today, but if you want to talk about that, we can discuss it later. So heaven and earth. Is this happening now in Christ? Is this going to happen in heaven when we die? What is this time period? Well, It can't exactly be earth because verse 19 says there will be no tears. I mean, come to my house on bath night and you will see tears. I hate taking baths. People still cry on earth. This can't be entirely what's happening here and now. Verse 25 says wolf and lamb will graze together. That's not happening now. So it can't completely be what's happening here on earth, even as believers. But then it also can't be entirely what's happening in heaven because look at verse 20. It says that there is going to be death in this place and that there are sinners present. And so it can't be exclusively heaven either. Here's what I think is happening in this passage. I think you actually have a combination of these two things a vision of what it means to be a believer in Christ now and what it means to ultimately experience these things. And in this prophecy, they're twisted together. And it's somewhat hard to tell the one from the other. So there are things that are happening here and now in this passage that are true of us in Christ today because of Easter And those same things that are true of us now, that we experience now in Christ, are only ultimately, beautifully, unimaginably forever true of us in Christ on that great and glorious day. Both of those things are at work in our passage. This is the already and the not yet. We experience it, we taste it, but we will see it fully in the days to come. So that's what's happening here. Now, Old Testament prophecy often works like this. These saints are looking far, far into the future towards supernatural things. We know that Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. He's talking about things that won't be seen on earth for centuries. So we got to cut the guy some slack when he prophesies about what this new world in Christ is going to be. John the Baptist had this experience. He was one of the rare prophets who actually got to stand next to his prophecy. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He got to meet Jesus, baptize Jesus, be near Jesus. And even John the Baptist, who was prophesying about Jesus, had this awkward moment in his ministry where he sent messengers ahead to Jesus and said, Hey man, I know this is weird, but are you the Messiah that I have been talking about? Or should we expect someone else 
I kind of expected the Messiah to be taller, and I'm not sure if you're him. Because a prophet is seeing blurry what then is being revealed as things unfold to us. I think when you and I finally stand in the new heavens and the new earth after Jesus' arrival on Judgment Day, and we behold what is before us, we'll say to ourselves, I read the book of Isaiah, I read the book of Revelation, I had no idea what was here before us today. It's going to be beautiful. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You know what I love about our passage on this Easter morning? Even though God tells us in the Bible that no eye, no ear, no heart can see, hear, imagine what God has in store. You know what He goes ahead and does in Isaiah 65? He says, Let's give it a try. I know they're not going to get it on the first brush, but let's just, let's give it a whirl. Let's try to explain what is in store for the believer in Christ. When I look at this passage, I see, depending on who is counting, 10 to 15 things here that Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday restores or renews in himself in this life only to be exponentially increased in the life to come. He wins these promises now. He will win them ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. Ten to fifteen things. It's beautiful. Now, for all the, of those of you who are at home uh, baking honey hams and you're worried that I've got 15 points of the sermon, don't worry. I'm just going to pick a few of these. Actually, I'm just going to pick my favorite things that Jesus wins. I'm the pastor. There's nobody else in the building right now. And so I'm just going to pick the ones that mean the most to me this morning. And I hope they benefit you as you hear what Jesus' resurrection has wrought for us today and on that great day. Number one, Jesus renews our tears. Verse 19, Jesus renews our tears. Have you ever really thought about the act of crying? I mean, what it entails to actually cry. It's a really bizarre experience for any of us, and it just kind of seems out of sorts. I was talking to somebody the other day who said, you know, when, my, when I cry, my whole face cries. And I love that expression because there are some people who have this elegant way of crying that a single tear just quivers um, and then falls one at a time. But this girl was totally right. When she cried, I mean, her face was just like hemorrhaging sadness. And I thought she was going to pull a muscle. It was, it was hard to watch. Um, but crying is universal. I mean, it spans languages, times, peoples, nations, cultures. It is absolutely universal. It is indelibly part of what it means to be a human being. And a world without crying sounds absolutely supernatural, Because it is. It is supernatural. In the new heavens, supernaturally, is a place without tears. There will be no crying, verse 19 says, in the new heavens and the new earth. But even now on earth, even now in Christ, our crying changes. It's being renewed because of Christ and what he has done in his resurrection. 
Christians still cry? Don't trust a Christian who doesn't cry. Jesus himself wept for grief. We grieve with those who grieve. But Jesus' death and resurrection changes the way that we cry for now. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who, have, who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Do you see that Jesus' resurrection changes our tears now? I don't know how far this virus will reach. None of us do. I don't know if it will begin to infect our church body, and I don't even know if, God forbid, it will claim the lives of believers we hold dear. But if it does, because of this day, Easter, our tears are changed forever. We will grieve the loss of dear saints, but we will not grieve as those without hope. We grieve as those who miss their earthly presence, but know that Jesus has won their heavenly presence. And even in our grief, even in our tears, we experience the power of the resurrection. Praise God. Number one, Jesus renews our tears. Point number two, Jesus renews our work we see in verses 21 and 22. Now, I know we all have these wild ideas of what heaven is going to be like, and we argue with each other about what we think it's going to be like. I feel like you go through distinct stages on thinking and imagining what we will experience on that great day, because you kind of start with this kid phase. If you grew up in church, you dread the fact that heaven might be a never-ending church service. Like I might be sitting there watching preacher after preacher uh, give a sermon, and that sounds awful. But then you graduate from the kid phase to the adolescent phase, and that's when you imagine that heaven is all your favorite things. It's like this mix of Candyland and FAO Schwartz, and it's just food and toys, and it's awesome. And then you grow up and say, you know what? I wonder what the Bible has to say about heaven. I wonder if it describes it in any way and what words it uses. And when you go to look at the prophetic descriptions of heaven, especially in the major and minor prophets, you'll see that it's all sounds like Isaiah. We are building homes and planting vineyards. We're harvesting crops and we're making wine. It's work in heaven. We are working beautifully in God's presence. There was work back in the Garden of Eden before the fall. There's going to be work, Isaiah says, in the new heavens and the new earth. Work is not a curse of the fall. Work is good and wholesome. It's made by God for us to enjoy. Now, of course, we know this side of heaven, that our work has been frustrated. It's been frustrated at the fall, and we often find ourselves doing things that are meaningless or things that work against us, even in our work, especially our relationship with creation and the created world. But Jesus is undoing that. One of the things he begins to do in his resurrection, even now, before we taste the perfection of work, is that even now our work has meaning. Our work is a platform of worship to Jesus. 
He says in verse 22, My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Can you imagine that? To be able to say that as a believer of your work week, no matter what you do, where you work, at home or abroad, they shall long enjoy the work of their hands because anything we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. Here and now fits and starts working in God's presence as worship is glorious to Him. It is renewed by Him because of the resurrection. Number three, Jesus renews prayer. Jesus renews our prayer life. Now the day before Jesus' death, if you go back to the Upper Room Discourse, you realize that Jesus spends a lot of time talking to His disciples about prayer, talking about how God will answer Christians' prayer, and then he spends a lot of time praying with them and for them and then bringing them to the garden so that they can pray even further. There's a direct connection between prayer and what Jesus does in Good Friday and what he wins in his resurrection. Listen to this promise of renewed prayer in verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Believer, Easter transforms our prayer life. We now have, through Christ's resurrection, direct access to the Father. The Holy Spirit is in us, helping us pray. Jesus is now ascended at the right hand of the Father after His resurrection to intercede for us as we pray. And here in our passage, the Father is so in tune with His children in His kingdom that He knows what we need before we even ask Him. That's amazing. I love the prophet Amos and his word picture of what this feels like. He says, A time is coming when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. Amos 9.13 God's answers to prayer come so fast, this is what it feels like. That you are out sowing grape seeds, and before you can even put them in the ground, the treader of grapes, the guy who has harvested them, is already passing you to collect the grapes and to make them into wine. That's what praying feels like in the kingdom of God. I've got all these beautiful, well-articulated prayers that are seeds in my pouch, and before I can even say some of them to God... They are already being harvested and answered, and God is doing His work. That's fantastic. You will find, believer, this side of Easter, that some of your best prayers, some of your most earnest prayers, those answers are already being delivered to you before you ask, as you ask, because your Father knows you and knows what you need, and He is working towards that end. That's fantastic, and that's one of the victories of Jesus, that he renews our prayer. Number four, Jesus renews our fight with the devil. In verse 25, it describes all the animals in heaven and what they'll be doing. You've got wolves and lambs that are hanging out together. You've got these lions who are eating straw like an ox. I'm pretty sure your dog is not going to be in heaven. I Definitely know that my neighbor's dog is not going to be in heaven. Um, But there may be dogs and cats in heaven. 
but we know at least there's wolves and lions in heaven, which is way cooler in my opinion. One animal that's not doing so hot in Isaiah's prophecy is the serpent. Dust shall be the serpent's food, we read in verse 25. I've got allergies and it feels like I'm eating dust. Now, God has nothing against snakes. That reference there in um, verse 25 is directly referring to what we explored back in September, Genesis chapter 3, man's fall and God's curse on Satan as a serpent. He says, on your belly, Satan, you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Satan, the serpent, eating dust forever. So for the believer, Jesus' resurrection is undoing the effects of the fall, but for Satan, he is doubling down on the effects of the fall. Which means, Christian, post-Easter, You are getting stronger in Christ and the glory of His power in you, and the devil is getting weaker in his opposition to Christ. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Friends, the devil is doomed to a diet of dirt. Why do we let him pick his teeth with the bones of Christians' best intentions? May it never be. Satan is cursed, and though he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking a believer to devour, the only dinner he will have in God's kingdom is dirt. That's what he's being served right now. Well, number five, finally, Jesus renews our joy. That's another thing Jesus wins. Our joy in verses 18 and 19. Look at those. Glad, rejoice, joy, gladness, rejoice, glad. It's a very fitting pair of verses for this day, which is joy of joys. Jesus is risen. Sin is answered. Death is defeated. There should be joy. And there is joy. And it is brimming in this passage. But notice who is doing the joyful, glad celebrate. There are actually three parties, not just one party present rejoicing. There are three parties in those verses who are doing the rejoicing. First of all, verse 18, be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. That's us. That's a command to us. Believer, you are commanded today of all days to rejoice and be glad. That is God's will for your life. That is His plan for you. That's the gift of His Spirit to celebrate, rejoice, and enjoy the resurrection. Today of all days, throw a party, eat good food, drink good drink, have a Zoom call with somebody, ask a girl out, do something that celebrates the joy of what God has done in Christ. This is a day for believers to be glad in the Lord and to rejoice in what He's done. Well, while we're celebrating and partying today, we notice, secondly, verse 18, For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. So, not just joy and gladness for us, but we are then to be joy and gladness for other people, which of course means anyone around us, our neighbors. 
This joy is not just our joy. We don't take the joy of Easter and hide it under a bushel and keep it to ourselves. It's not just for us. The joy of Easter is a contagious joy. It's an infectious joy. It's a joy that can't help but draw other people into it and rub off on them that it is a gladness and a joy to them as well. Man, that's a fitting word for us right now in these quarantine days. When mumbling is so easy, when being frustrated is so easy, stir-crazy is so easy, complaints just roll off our tongue of what we don't have and what we miss and tirades against the powers of be and what they're not doing, it would be so easy to spend this Easter season as a believer online or in person bemoaning what we don't have, all the while God is calling us to such a joyous, infectious celebration. Our neighbors see us and they want what we have. Christian, rejoice today and in the weeks to come that Jesus is risen. You've got believers rejoicing. Now you've got these unbelievers who are kind of coming close and watching, and they're now rejoicing in what we were rejoicing of. But there's actually a third party here who also has joy and gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. You know who else is rejoicing of the spoils of Easter? It's God. God rejoices. God himself is glad. God is happy with what he has made, and he's happy with what he has remade. Believer, unbeliever watching, God himself joining together, all agreeing on one thing, that Easter is a day to rejoice and be glad in what God has made. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Because of Easter... Jesus renews our tears, He renews our work, He renews our prayer, He renews our fight with the devil, He renews our joy. Dear Christian, when we pray the Lord's Prayer this side of Easter, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, these are some of the very things that we're praying for. These are the fruits of God's kingdom that he wins in Easter. And when we ask for his kingdom to come, we ask for this change now that we experience as a believer and ultimately hope for that change that will come most beautifully and forever. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we rejoice. We rejoice with joy inexpressible as Peter says, who saw firsthand your death, who saw firsthand your resurrection, who died for the privilege, he says, we rejoice with joy inexpressible. You made the world. You remade the world. We stand on resurrection ground. Let us rejoice and be glad in what you have done. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I give you this benediction blessing, which is so simple that adults and children have said it for 2,000 years together. Here now. He is 
risen. Amen.